hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. As we begin in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us the type of attitude that we are to have. It's called the Beatitudes, right? He said, here's the attitude kingdom citizens live with. And then last week, Pastor Rod talked about the authority of the king. His authority not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So he establishes the attitude of, of the subjects of the kingdom. He establishes his authority. And now the rubber begins to meet the road. Where now he calls out kingdom citizens to live in such a way where that our actions are reflecting that of the kingdom. The capacity to live out the kingdom life is predicated on the presence of the king in our lives. Here's a frustrating point. If we're trying to live out the kingdom life, and I'm speaking specifically of the Sermon on the Mount in the context, if I try to live that out without the presence of the king in my life, that is a futile and frustrating exercise. The commands, his commands to us are directed to his character in us. Paul says, Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. The precepts of the kingdom are only embraced by those who have the presence of the king. Am I making sense? There's no other way. So I say that to say as we move forward this weekend, we are talking about cultural combustion. It feels pretty tense out there, doesn't it? I, 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 I don't know about you, but I, I'm sensing a lot of anger in the culture. In fact, it's so crazy that most of the time now as I'm driving, I don't even make eye contact with people. I'm afraid outside of pets, dogs hanging their heads out the window, I'm looking forward. I'm afraid to make eye contact. Anybody else? I'm afraid to look at somebody and they take it wrong and here we go. Seems to be a lot of anger in the world. There seems to be a, a, a lot of animosity in the world. Just recently, my wife Sharon and I, we, we went to Chick-fil-A. It's the Lord's Chicken, if you didn't know. So we're at the Lord's Chicken and we order our usual, right? I will not tell you what that is but I do take Chick-fil-A cards. We order our usual, and this is where it gets a little tricky because we get our usual, and then I like to add a small kale crunch salad. I know that's weird, but that's just how I roll. But what happened at our latest visit to, to Chick-fil-A is that when I said that, the, the, the issue was... Uh, they substituted, they gave me the kale crunch salad and not the waffle fries. Now, I know those two shouldn't go together, but they do. So we sat down and we opened up the bag and we began to have our meal and we noticed we didn't get the waffle fries. We thought, well, we need the waffle fries. And so my wife said, I'll go back up and pay for the waffle fries. And so she did. She paid for the waffle fries and she's standing there. You know, they have a little counter where you can get the drink refill. You tracking with me? Okay, you can get the drink refill. She's standing there. It's a busy day at Chick-fil-A. 
And there's another man that comes up to my wife and says something along the lines, did they mess your order up too? She's like, well, I think it was probably our fault. We didn't communicate it well. And they're busy. Not a big deal. And he said something along the lines, and I'm going to keep this PG. He said, are you going to give them heck? But he did not say heck. She's like, what? He said, you should give them heck. He did not say heck. And she says, I, I'm just waiting on the waffle fries. I mean, even at Chick-fil-A, right? If, if there's an anointed restaurant anywhere, it's Chick-fil-A. Even there, animosity, bitterness. We didn't get the waffle fries, and now we're going to throw a fit because we didn't get the waffle fries? Absolutely. That's what we are to do. You sense the anger in the air? You sense the tension? You sense this combustible spirit and attitude in the air? And as I, as I read and worked through the message, I'm like, well, why in the world did Jesus feel he need to address the sixth commandment? That's interesting. Like, what's going on in Jerusalem where Jesus begins the, the body of the Sermon on the Mount with the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not murder. I'm kind of curious. What's happening? What's going on? And Jesus begins and begins to dive in with this issue of the sixth commandment. And I'm wondering what is happening in Israel that the people needed to hear. Thou shalt not murder. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 and 22. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said. To those of old, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, here we go, here we go, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so it begins. Actually, this is not about murder at all, is it? It's about anger. It's about the, the disposition of a heart. It's about an attitude. And so Jesus begins, notice what he says there in 22 verse 8, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, brother can mean a, an actual sibling. But, but let's take it, it can be in a broader context too. It can mean people in general. I say to you, everyone who is angry with people will be liable to judgment. Now the word anger here is the word argizo. It means to provoke, to enrage. It describes a simmering, a smoldering anger that is nurtured and will not be allowed to die. This anger that Jesus mentions here it often expresses itself in, in a good old-fashioned grudge and a lack of forgiveness. It, it expresses itself in, in bitterness and resentment. In fact, one commentator says it is a murderous spirit. Whoever's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, judgment means local court. Think about that, local court. And Jesus is addressing the issue, and, and I think somebody's like, well, th this isn't the sixth commandment that, that I remember. I, it was pretty straightforward back in the day, right? 
And Jesus is digging deeper. He's going deeper. And now he's touching the attitudes and the thoughts of kingdom citizens. He's touching the intent of our lives. Someone said it this way, is that anger does more damage in the container in which it is stored than the container in which it is poured. There's a lot of anger, right? There's a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness. This, this word, smolder, simmer, don't let it go. Hold on to it. It's a grudge. It's unforgiveness. It's resentment. Jesus begins at, at, at a kind of a surface level here, right? Who, whoever's angry with his brother, you're going to be liable to judgment. But he goes a little bit deeper. Look at the next part of verse 22. Then he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. By this time, they're, they're setting up. They're like, okay, this is a little more serious than we remember. You're going to be liable to the council. Now, the council, he's speaking of the Sanhedrin. 71 people who served on what we would call a Supreme Court. One of those people being the high priest. Jesus is now intensifying the conversation. Notice what he says, whoever insults his brother. The, the Greek word is raka. It's the only time, the only place that's used in the New Testament. The word means this, you'll see it on the screen, empty-headed, air-headed, a senseless person. So as you insult someone with words, or I insult someone with words, and say you're senseless, you're an airhead, raka. It's, it's a very, very intense word that Jesus is using here. It's a, it's a term of verbal abuse and insult, an expression of anger. Listen to what Jesus says. It's such an expression of anger that he puts it on the same level as the Supreme Court in his day would deal with issues. Does that make sense? This is how serious this is. The Supreme Court of Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin, they dealt with the most serious offenses, just like our Supreme Court. Would you agree? When it gets to our Supreme Court, pay attention. Agreed? That's what this is about. When we say to people and we insult people in our lives... Verbal abuse, verbal insults, Jesus is equating that to the same type of offense that would be submitted to the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. And by the way, we know that the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, they tried the most serious offenses and pronounced the severest penalties, including the death penalty. We see that in Acts 6 and 7 when Stephen is stoned. You got to get the picture. When we insult, verbally abuse, people with our words. By the way, the scripture says that the, the power of life is where? It's in the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. If you ver verbally abuse, verbally insult, the reminder from Jesus's teaching is that that is the same offense as the same moral quality as murder. So the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, across the board, as Pastor Rod has kind of alluded to last week, we can keep that to some degree. But when Jesus takes it here, things begin to change. Now notice the last part of verse 22. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He begins with the local court, right? The judgment. He moves to the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. Now he takes the conversation to a deeper judgment Think the divine court and the judgment of God. The Greek word here is moros. Moros. Say that with me. 
moros. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get our word moron from. It's where we get the word. Here's what's interesting about that word. We probably use that word. Here's what's interesting about that word, where, where raka is an attack on a person's intellect. Okay? This word moros is an attack on a person's heart and character. It, it, it goes deeper. In fact, some commentators believe that the word was so powerful that, that Jesus is calling out people who are questioning a person's relationship to God. A relationship. So if, if at any, any point in your life you've looked at another person and, and you, they claim to be a believer, but you're like, yeah, I don't think they're a believer. That's kind of the content and the idea behind the word. There is a prejudgment according to a person's relationship with God. You fool, you're going to be liable to the hell of fire. Man, up until this point, the sixth commandment, it's a tough one. But now Jesus is moving from the outward actions of his kingdom citizens. He's moving to the inward intent of the heart and the mind. And what he's saying is like, is when we commit a crime, that same judgment that is upon us physically, now he's taking it internally to the moral element of who we are as kingdom citizens. Now, notice this, what he says. You're going to be liable to the hell of fire. It's kind of a funny translation, the hell of fire. The hell of fire was the Hinnon Valley in the southwest of Jerusalem. It was equated with Gehenna as well. They're one and the same. If you were to do a little work and a little research on this part, you see at the top, you see the Hinnon Valley. This is what Jesus is referring to. If you went back into the Old Testament, you would see a close connection to the worship of Molech. If you go back, the worship of Molech at times lended itself to child sacrifice. Children would be burned in the valley, in the Hinnon Valley. In Jesus' time, it's tied to this worship of Molech, but also it's located southwest area of Jerusalem. It became a common refuse for the city. It's a place of bodies and criminals and carcasses were dumped and burned. In Jesus' day, it was just a smoldering fire. It's just a smoldering garbage dump. And Jesus says, when we insult a person's character, when we attack them at the level of the heart, Divine judgment can come upon us. That's a deep thought. That's a sobering thought. Is it not? To think about somebody, maybe don't say it, but you think they're a fool in this context. That's a sobering, sobering thought. James says this about the tongue. James 5, James 3, 5 through 6, he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, and it's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Here it is. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Same word, Gehenna. Here in James, same word in Matthew 5, 22. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Do, do you see the progression? We're, we, we're talking about the sixth commandment. They're like, hey, he's talking about the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. We've heard that 
before. We understand that. Oh, but my goodness. As, as he progresses through the idea of being angry, resentful, bitter towards somebody that generally expresses itself with verbal abuse, right? Verbal insult, which we all, I'm not saying all, I've been guilty of. Have you? Have you? I have been guilty of those types of things. This is why we need the grace of God at work in our lives. That's why we need His grace at work. So he progresses from, from that element, being angry, bitter, smoldering, anger, resentment, telling people at Chick-fil-A, give them heck, right? To verbal insult, to now you're condemning a brother heart, character, possibly even their relationship with the Father. It's a sobering thing. Look in verse with me, with me please, 20, 23 and 24. So he changes tune here just a little bit. So he gets on this idea of reconciliation. Look with me in verse 23, 24. So Jesus goes on. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, the necessity of reconciliation. That's what he's talking about here. Folks, this is not easy stuff, is it? <laughs> this is not an easy conversation. So he gets into the necessity of reconciliation and the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees' message was a much different message. It had to do with external worship. They stand on the street corners and what do they do? They pray. And they want you to see them pray. They want you to hear them pray. When they offer their gift and their sacrifices, they want somebody to see it. They're all about external worship. But, but Jesus here, he goes deeper than that. He, he tells an illustrative story of a man who's going to the temple. He's going to offer his gift. As he does, he remembers that his brother has something against him. Not that he has something against his brother, but that his brother has something against him. That remembrance prompts him toward reconciliation, does it not? Now, as you read the passage, you think, huh, I think it feels backwards. Shouldn't he offer the gift and then go find the brother? That makes more sense, right? Does, it, does that make more sense? Like, if we were to, does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't. Offer the gift and then go find the brother. Jesus is like, no, no, no. No, leave the gift. Go find the brother. Come back and then offer the gift. That seems flipped to me. What's Jesus doing? He's talking about the importance of reconciliation in broken relationships. Reconciliation in broken relationships. Does Jesus consider the restoration and the reconciliation of a broken relationship more important than offering a gift in the temple? Looks like it. But I don't know about you. I would rather give the gift than go make the reconciliation, wouldn't you? Giving the gift is easier. It doesn't, take, it doesn't bother my pride. I don't have to have humility. I don't have to say anything. I can just do the gift thing and don't worry about the reconciliation. Jesus is calling us on the carpet, the spiritual carpet, I should say. He says, leave the gift, 
Go be reconciled to your brother. Make it right with the person you're at odds with, you're at animosity with. Make it right. Oh, folks, the Sermon on the Mount's been awesome right up to this point, hasn't it? Like, oh, this is great. I love those Beatitudes. Woo! Yeah, he fulfilled the law. He absolutely did. That's fantastic. Now Jesus is saying, leave the gift, go reconcile. You're like, okay, this is where we... Pastor Rod warned us. You're going to get some pushback from your own spirit, maybe from your own life. The straight story. Let me tell you about the straight story. It's a 1999 biographical road drama filmed by a guy named David Lynch. It is a true-life drama of a 73-year-old man. His name is Alvin Strait. You're going to see him here on the screen. Alvin decided that it was time to end the silence, stop the hate, break down the wall of anger between he and his brother, which had been built between them over years and years and years. Alvin was unable to drive a vehicle, and he despised riding the bus. So in 1994, Alvin drove a 1966 John Deere tractor 110 riding lawnmower across Iowa and parts of Wisconsin. He drove this lawnmower some 240 miles. Now, folks, that's about from here to Palm Springs. Let that register. Okay, let that register. Alvin drives this John Deere riding lawnmower some 240 miles to go make it right with his brother. To swallow the pride, to, to swallow the pain, to, to swallow the misunderstanding and visit his ailing, estranged brother, Henry, and they make it right. That's quite a feat. I'm not sure, sure how fast a 1966 John Deere 100, 110 lawnmower will go. Probably not as fast as your vehicle and probably not quite as comfortable. There's an urgency of reconciliation, and maybe right now, maybe, maybe God's bringing someone to your mind. Maybe there's someone in, in your world. Maybe, maybe God's bringing to remembrance something that someone that, that maybe you're not on the same page with. And right now, the Spirit is speaking the urgency of reconciliation. The urgency of reconciliation. Verse 25 and 26, Jesus gets into this urgent necessity of reconciliation. No, he uses another illustration here. Notice in verse 25 and 26. He says, come to terms quickly. There's the key word, quickly. With your accuser while you're still going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and the guard puts you in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Reconciliation, we need to be Necessary. We need to just move into it. And then there's an urgency to it. That, that's the point he's making here. Quickly. What's he say? Quickly. You see, the thing about animosity and anger and bitterness, it grows, does it not? If you don't ask forgiveness, if you don't pray about it, if you don't take action on these things, animosity, bitterness, they 
grow. And here's the thing about it. If you don't deal with it quickly, which Jesus is calling us to do, who knows what the consequences of that are? Who knows where that leads? Oh, maybe we do know where it leads. We've been down that road maybe in a relationship in the past. Jesus is calling out to this urgency of reconciliation. When's the right time to reconcile, Pastor? It's when the Spirit brings it to your heart and mind. That's the right time to reconcile. I would ask you this. How many people have lost their lives to some degree regarding what Jesus is saying? Verbal abuse, insult. How many people have lost their hope, their faith, their dignity, their self-worth? How many people have lost their marriage, their family? Through verbal abuse, insult, pain, careless words. In fact, some of us in the room tonight, we've probably experienced a little bit of that pain. Somebody said something. Somebody, and, 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 and maybe they didn't even know they said it. Maybe they did know they said it. As Jesus takes us to this element of, of reconciliation, he, he brings us to the point showing us the vitality of being in right, healthy, God-honoring relationships. And sometimes the church is the worst at this stuff, right? Sometimes we're the worst, and, and we're just people. We, we mess it up. We, we mess this stuff up. We're just people. But the beauty of just being just people in the kingdom is we understand how we're to operate in those healthy relationships of love and integrity. Jesus is showing the progression of this nature and destructive pattern of anger, but not all anger is bad. There is a righteous indignation. You aware of that? There's a righteous anger that the people of God are to have. Two separate occasions. Jesus, fast and furious, cleanses the temple two times. John chapter 2, Matthew 21. Two separate occasions. The fast and the furious. That's where that whole thing came out of, by the way. With fury, cleanses the temple. Righteous indignation. And as the people of God, if we would be a little more intentional about righteous indignation, where we were angry about injustice and hatred and racism and child abuse, domestic violence, immorality, we get angry about the right things. That's what righteous indignation is. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Say that with me. Be angry and do not sin. Man, what a fine line to walk, huh? What a fine line to walk. Notice what he says. Hey, don't let the sun go down on your, on your anger. There's the line. And you give the opportunity and give no opportunity to the devil. Kingdom citizens, we're to live in this world, in this space, with a holy, righteous indignation toward the evil and the destruction that we see in this world. And the people of God, we should be at the tip of the spear with these things. At the tip of the spear. A Danish playwright and Lutheran pastor by the name of Kaj Monk, he opposed Naki occupation in Denmark and a stanch which eventually led to his martyrdom. 
During the occupation of Denmark of World War II, of course, he was killed. He said it very well. This is one of my favorite quotes. Are you ready? Wait, don't pull it up if you're not ready. Are you ready for this? This is one of my favorite quotes. All right, Stuart, pull it up. Check this out. Kaj Monk says, what is there for our task today? Shall I answer faith, hope, and love? That sounds beautiful, but I would say courage. No, even that is not challenging enough to be the whole truth. Our task today is recklessness. For what we Christians lack is not a psychology or a literature. We lack a holy rage. We lack a recklessness which comes from the knowledge of God and humanity, the ability to rage when injustice lies prostrate in the streets and when the lie rages across the face of the earth, a holy anger about the things that are wrong in the world. To rage when little children must die of hunger, when the tables of the rich are sagging with food. To rage at the senseless killing of so many and against the madness of militaries. To rage at the lie that calls the threat of death and the strategy of the destruction of peace. To rage against complacency and to restlessly seek that recklessness that will challenge and seek to change human history. Until it conforms to the norms of the kingdom of God. And remember... The signs of the Christian church have been the lion, the lamb, the dove, and the fish, but never the chameleon. That's a life wrecker. Never the chameleon. Folks, there is a righteous indignation that I think that God calls us into and He gives us authority into. What's the point of Jesus' teaching? Treat others well. Love others well. Love others with, with, with love and integrity. If you're not on the page with somebody, if you've got somebody coming to your thought, to your mind, to your heart, go make it right. Go make it right the best that you can. And you might say, Pastor, I've tried to make it right. Do what God tells you to do. You do your part. Amen? I do my part. I'm going to try to make this right, Father. However they respond, I can't control that. What I can control is what you've told me to do in it. Two takeaways. Number one. The kingdom truth is this. There's no kingdom life without the lordship of the king. No kingdom life without the lordship of the king. So is he your king? Is he your lord? That's a question that you'll need to work through. Second of all, kingdom action. Is there someone you need to go and be reconciled to? Is there someone you need to go? and be reconciled to. Let me pray for you. Father, we pray tonight as we look at the sixth commandment, which is so much deeper than we ever anticipated. Lord, this is a humbling, it's a sobering conversation to know that through the years, I just think about my own life, how so many times I've used reckless words and unthoughtful words and They've been harmful. Lord, we need your grace and forgiveness over those things. We plead your, your blood over that. We ask for forgiveness where our words have hurt others. And Father, some of us have been hurt by others' words. That's the other side of the coin. Father, let us off, offer forgiveness. And I know that's hard. Maybe somebody who's, who's intentionally hurt us. It's such a deep conversation. 
but I'm glad that Jesus calls us to the place of a, of a necessary and an urgent reconciliation, the best that we can. God, give us the courage. Give us the insight. Give us the discernment to restore, to reconcile the relationship from our end with your spirit working to reconcile what's been broken, to restore what's been taken, that you are honored and glorified. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.